Welcome to another episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Revolution Radio. Making smarter financial decisions with your host, Rob Nelson, former Fox News host and anchor at Roundtable Media with his team of market masters, Mark Lepresti, Managing Director of Mineta Advisory Partners, co-founder of Battlefin, leading data platform, and a former institutional equities trader at Lehman Brothers. Alex Massioli, founder of Trade the Chain, former head of institutional prime brokerage at Bquant. John Nigerian, co-founder of Market Rebellion, former co-host of Halftime Report on CNBC, and co-founder of Option Monster and Trade Monster. Daily data insights and ticker updates direct from three of the world's top TradFi legal and crypto experts on Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain every Monday and Friday on all your favorite platforms. Let's get started. Hello, B3 Nation, John, Mark, Alex, good to see you all. Um, this is a fun show coming up. We've got a lot to talk about. A lot's been going on. Summer is over. Fall is here. It's time for us to dive right in. Before I tell everybody about what we got going on in this show, Mark, as always, I don't want to skip out on our sponsor, Saline Automotive. I know you've got something to say about them. Um, tell us about Saline and, and what they're bringing to the table. Rob, but thank you so much. But first of all, boy, does it feel good to be back after a brief summer hiatus. So happy to be live with the X Spaces audience. Thank you. That's right. Thank a round of applause. So loyal B3 Nation, as I refer to them. And Rob, you're right. We've had some pretty darn cool, exciting, innovative sponsors on the show. Something that we're proud of for a show that's you know six months old now, I guess, at this point. Today, however, I want to talk about one that we're really excited about. It's rare and unusual that we have a sponsor where I can trace my roots in connection with the brand all the way back to high school. I'm talking, of course, about Celine Automotive. Steve Celine has been making the unbelievable Celine Mustangs. I had a Celine Mustang poster in my bedroom in, in high school. I think there might have been a Farrah Fawcett poster there, too, but that's a topic for another show. Steve, of course, Steve and Celine Automotive, of course, also makes the iconic uh, S7, which has been featured in dozens of movies. Jim Carrey drove one and Bruce Almighty famously. Steve's coming out with the new S1, which is an absolutely gorgeous car. Myself, John, and our good friend Adam Carolla had the chance a couple of weeks ago to whip that thing around the track at 178 miles an hour. John is still recovering from that. I don't know if he's gotten his pants back from the dry cleaner. Steve is, and Celine Automotive is conducting a fundraise right now to expand their operations, complete production of the S1, and come out with some other incredible products. You can find more about the offering on Start Engine. I believe it's startengine.com backslash invest Celine. I know producer Patrick is going to pin that link to the crow's nest along with some important disclaimers that you should read before investing. But do check it out. And John, I think we're going to be back out in L.A. for the LD Micro Conference pretty soon. Maybe we can squeeze in some more track time with Steve. You know, that would be an awesome thing for you guys to do. I got to say, Mark, as we talk about what we're talking about in the show this today, you know, let me, let me just say, we're going to talk about one of the things is inflation. It's coming back with a vengeance, or is it not? And what's J-Pow going to do about it? Man, Celine was designing cars the last time we had bad inflation. So That's we're right. going full circle on that, right? The, the right. UK chipmaker in the news, um, with it's an ARM arm with an IPO opening a window back up. Mark and John have a lot to say on what that means about in general for IPOs. And FTX is back in the news. Two, two different reasons. One, a bankruptcy court ruling that they can sell their assets uh, or some of their assets. And two, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried is getting denied, no shocker, his attempt to not be in jail till the trial happens. And in case you were checking, why is gas so expensive again? I'm not shocked, but we're going to tell you why. Before we get into these awesome topics... We're going to just do as we always do. We're going to do a quick market overview, crypto and TradFi, and then we're going to, John, Mark, and Alex are each going to toss out a few of their select picks. Those are not investment advice. They are actual moves they are making and tell you why they're making. You choose to do what you want with that. But, Mark, let's just start with a quick overview um, the week so far, TradFi markets. Yeah, absolutely, Rob. Look, the market 
closing uh, nicely in the green today. Uh, the Dow up 300 points, the best of the group of the top three, up almost a full 1%, 331 spot, 58 for those that are counting. The S&P up just under 38 points for just shy of spot 90%. The NAS for its attempt today up 112 spot, 47, also up just about spot 0.8%. Um, a lot of that on the strength of this unbelievable IPO from Arm, this chip maker out of the UK that people haven't heard of. But man, we're really excited to talk about that one um, because it is a remarkable company. Uh, so a lot of uh, strength on that. Investors shrugging off the, the CPI and, of course, the PPI numbers that we got today, showing that inflation continues to remain stubborn, much to the anticipated chagrin of j I have no doubt. But um, overall, a, a pretty nice day, Rob, and a, and a day that given these uh, inflation prints, and, and I don't want to jump the shark for the next segment, we want to make sure that John has a chance to speak. By the way, John does not appear to have a microphone, so Producer Patrick, if we could give John the mic, or John, if you could request the mic, that would be great. I can't do it without you, John. Please join me on stage. You may have to for a little while, Alex. I'm Mark, sorry. You're just going to have to carry the ship, the burden, you know, next man up. Well, I just hope I'm not going down with the ship. Um, but uh, I, listen, maybe we can toss it over to my Italian brother from another mother, Mr. Mascioli, for a quick TradFi overview, Alex. Thank you very much, Mr. Mark. What's going on, everybody? Glad to be back on Spaces for sure. Glad to see familiar faces in the room. Uh, summer break was great, but it's always fun to be back at work, and this isn't really work. Uh, crypto markets, uh, they crept up a little bit today to about $1.05 trillion on $28 billion in volume. Now, if you remember earlier in the week, uh, if you watched our episode, which is our new video uh, podcast that accompanies this, uh, and that's on uh, Tuesday mornings. It gets released thereabouts. I'm not the producer, so I don't know. Um, we were barely hanging on to the $1 trillion mark, uh, which we haven't lost since March of earlier this year. And speaking of shameless plugs on YouTube, don't forget to go to our YouTube channel uh, at GetRev Radio. Um, Bitcoin getting a 1.4% boost to 19,619 with 13.6 billion trading hands, which was flat volume on the day versus average. But daily sentiment on the trade, the chain column dashboards rising to a bullish 72 out of 100 late in the Eastern time zone trading day. Ethereum faring the same at about 1,629, up 1.5% on only 5.4 billion volume, which is you know, also been flat, and we've been talking about this, but these uh, combined numbers have been pretty range-bound uh, as we come back to school off the summer break. So uh, looking for definitely a pump in those, uh, hopefully with some positive sentiment. Um, but the Ethereum tweet volume down 10% on the day. Uh, the trade the chain daily sentiment dropped lower to 44 out of 100 on the daily. This is important to keep an eye on because as Bitcoin sentiment price rises while Ethereum's lowers, we could see some altcoin de-risking here, which translates into prices going lower for those altcoins. Um, and we all know that uh, some uh, fan favorites such as Pepe and, and others uh, who are degens um, have not been getting a fair uh, shake of the stick, so to speak, in positive price action. Um, last note, stablecoin net flows on exchanges over the last... Uh, 24 hours was encouraging. We saw more inflows than outflows, which generally means buyers are circling the order books. Um, and as we go into uh, Friday end of week trading, even though we still have the weekends, but we know they're historically low, um, hopefully we see a uh, more resurgent in price action on the majors. So that's the hey. recap. Hey, Alex, I want to bring uh, Nick from, tra from your Trade the Chain research desk in real quickly. Nick, Alex talked about we might see some de-risking in altcoin. Obviously, there's a little more volume in Bitcoin. The price has not been where people may have wanted it. It dropped below all your indicators last week um, or your, your benchmarks. Um, quick thoughts on those two things. Yeah, so it, it, this is definitely a market where I think you want to focus on Bitcoin, Ethereum, i.e. the majors with this whole FTX debacle in front of us and the 
obvious understanding that most of the top projects that we know and love or hate, depending on who you are, uh, are VC and private equity uh, funded. And so a lot of those lockups are, you know, two to five years, if anyone's familiar with typical cliffs for uh, those types of investments, we're coming right up on that timeline. And so you're going to see more unlocks. We know that FTX is going to be selling. Um, you know, a lot of people are talking about Seoul. They, they still have $300 million worth of Seoul locked. Well, if you're in bankruptcy, you're just going to go ahead and OTC and sell down those claims and then hedge uh, that bet as well. So that will put some downward pressure on Seoul. So I really do not like alts that much, but that doesn't mean we can't squeeze a little bit in the short term. So if Bitcoin can get above 26.8K, it can certainly squeeze to 27.1, which we know alts are high beta assets, meaning they move a higher percentage than Bitcoin when it is moving. So they could still squeeze a few percentage points, but I'll be honest with you, Rob, I'm looking at the 27K level to probably short uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and a few alts that are on that FTX list. Awesome. Thanks for that. And again, everybody, don't do that unless you want to. We, I'm going to say this every time. We're not giving you investment advice. We're just telling you what we're doing, what we're looking at. John Najarian, and by the way, we're going to get into uh, what, what, what FTX being able to sell its assets might do to the price of Bitcoin when we later on in the show. But John Najarian, quick, good to have you. Quick thoughts on the market as you saw it this week and and any future 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 fantastic future insights you have well i thank you rob um it's pretty surprising that we've been able to shrug off both a warmer than expected consumer price index and a much hotter than expected producer price index but we did and we did probably because of what you and mark were talking about with arm holdings um they were taken private a few years ago. SoftBank took the company private for $32 billion. Now, they were going to uh, SoftBank, you know, that uh, they were all over all the networks all morning, it seems. And they were trying to sell themselves to NVIDIA, um, but they couldn't make that happen because antitrust regulators said this is uh, not the sort of merger we want to see. Uh, NVIDIA's got, of course, probably the most popular chips on earth right now. ARM um, is going from a business model that was B to B, business to business, switching over um, and collecting royalties from the chips that they're putting out, they're a chip designer. And uh, they ended up getting 54 billion, almost 55 billion, Rob, which made, you know, obviously headlines because that's a huge number. It shows there's plenty of risk capital out there. And uh, they traded 125 million shares and it was up 24% from that uh, offering price. So this is all great news for the market um, and great news uh, that the market was able to shrug off what I, I certainly thought was bad news with the producer price index being so hot. So where do I go Friday into the end of week? Boy, I, I thought that uh, a hot PPI would hurt. It did not. I think there's a lot of people uh, that are probably caught short right here, and the market's going to squeeze them into the weekend, Rob. Well, you know, and, and, and we're going to talk more about ARM, John, you know, but, but it's fascinating to me that one, one that one IPO could have so much impact on on the whole market. But that's kind of what you're indicating. Yeah, well, it's that's an awfully big draw. I mean, when you have uh, gigantic IPOs like that, and like I say, this is a company, number one, that people are familiar with. They have a track record of making a lot of money. And obviously, we're interesting enough that uh, people went after it uh, aggressively on that opening today and continued throughout the session. So, yeah, that's it. from a risk capital standpoint, you couldn't have really got a better endorsement that risk capital is still out there despite higher interest rates, despite hot um, inflation readings. And that risk capital is going into the stock market, not the bond market. Well, you're listening to Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on X Spaces. Follow us at Get Rev Radio. Follow all of our hosts. We also have a 
podcast that you'll be able to listen to on streaming platforms. It, there's video in that, so you can actually see everybody while we're doing it. Lots and lots of fun there. But um, before, let's jump into some stock picks, um, stock options, crypto. John, you were just talking about ARM. I'm sure that's one of your picks. Let everybody know a couple of the things you're actually looking to put your own money well, on. Could be stocks, could be options, could be. ARM crypto. was not actually one of my picks, though, Rob. Um, and the reason. Oh, okay. Talking, no, no. I, it's a good call by you because we just spent some time talking about it. Um, but I thought that $55 billion roughly. Um, was more than enough and that maybe it would pop towards 60 and then come back down over the next couple of days. And that so-called green shoe that uh, the syndicates get extra shares and they more or less sell them to and buy stock to support um, the IPO offering. Uh, I think that uh, was a, a surprise to me and a bunch of other people that have managed that 25% pop going to $63, $64. So that was that was a head-scratcher, but a good one. One that I would put more money into, Rob, is almost anything in the energy space. We traded through 90 for crude. So CCJ is Chemco. That's a big uranium uh, play. And they were buying upside calls in CCJ, Chemco, again today. Um, I also like CRA. Uh, they've been buying aggressively in that one as well. And then there's UUUU, um, which is probably one of the funniest acronyms for a stock. But my gosh, uh, this this uh, sector, whether it's an ETF for uh, uranium or just a pure play um, on one individual miner, um, there's a lot of activity in that space right now. All right. And and Alex, let me bring you in. Um, switch gears to crypto for a second. What do you got? The pick or two you well, like? I, I got to say, I, I have uh, I do have one pick um, and it's related to uh, the FTX uh, debacle that's happening. And I'm sure Nick will uh, probably comment some more later on on some of those other uh, altcoins. But I will say, um, to kick it off, I am feeling the urge for UCL. Uh, the um, uh, ProShares Ultra Bloomberg Crude Oil ETF. Uh, you know, it's a double levered ETF. We're seeing energy demand uh, just going up and up. You've heard Mark and you've heard John talk about it for the last couple of weeks, like as if they were trying to get uh, Rolling Stone tickets, okay? Um, energy is just on the upward trend. They just, UCO, uh, I played this, I played the position pretty heavy. Back when it did a forward split in 2020, uh, right at the beginning of COVID, and this demand, uh, you know, started to go up as we went through the second half of COVID and started releasing some, um, it really took off. More than doubled my money uh, in a couple of different trades there. Uh, I, I feel like we're seeing this again. Um, you know, the skies are opening up. We're looking at overbooked air uh, airlines. We're looking at uh, crowded highways as people uh, start to travel. Um, more and more freely. So I'm really looking at UCO. We haven't been in this uh, price level where it's at right now. It's at 36.75. We haven't been here since uh, about July of last year. Um, so I'm really looking to ramp that up. So uh, that's on my list for a long. Uh, my uh, short is going to be Solana, ticker SOL. Uh, we made high double digit returns taking a position earlier in the week, which we spoke about uh, on the video uh, podcast on Tuesday morning, we took multiple positions through the weekend, um, uh, different entrance points, um, really uh, big returns. It was almost a foregone conclusion. Uh, definitely one of our easiest trading days. <clears throat> there was a, there's been a very little rebound uh, that's happened. We're looking for it to leg down as we plan on the quarter proof liquidation of about 1.1 billion in salt tokens from the FTX bankruptcy estate now uh just keeping everybody up to date on that if they're looking at similar positions galaxy asset management is handling that liquidation um and they're currently authorized about a hundred million dollars of sales a week but it's already been stated that it could go up to 200 million uh in sales per week don't forget we got 1.1 billion uh just over that at current prices so I'm looking for a couple of those to take uh, headers out of their portfolio as they rebalance them, but particularly Sol is on my list. 
And and again, good reason everybody to listen to our Monday show as well, because you know Alex pointed out like they took a position on that on Monday. You're seeing it pay off today. Mark, are you more bullish on ARM than John? It's not that John's not bullish. He just to his point, he's like I, you know, I, I think I'm going to leave that alone. It it it, it got fed enough. Well, I could, I could be, but um, but I want to just follow on something that you said a minute ago about the you know the Monday show and things playing out. If you remember my my Monday show uh, bear call was Apple. And that was when Apple uh, was at about 180 and change. Um, but my the prognostication was that the iPhone 15 launch was not going to give it the necessary tailwind to recover from the news of the previous week about that move from the Chinese government about banning iPhones for government employees, and that it was essentially going to just be a more expensive version of the prior phone with a slightly more sophisticated camera. And guess what? That That is what happened. Uh, we wound up with, um, you know, investors that followed that could have taken the stock all the way down to the 174 range, um, which obviously kudos to you. You made you made money on the short side. And to your specific question about um, Arm, I really like this company, Rob. I, I really like it. And I, and I want to share because I know this is a, a topic that I think we may come back to in terms of whether or not this is an indication that the IPO market, particularly for tech stocks, which by most estimates has been closed for at least 24 months now, if this particular IPO will strong arm, as I jokingly said on another broadcast earlier, my Sirius XM show this morning, that IPO window for tech stocks back open. By the way, quick request to producer Patrick, if you could pop up somewhere in the crow's nest a link to the YouTube channel so our B3 audience it's already there, Mark. It's already beautiful, there. Beautiful. Thank you. Yep. Yep. Was just about to let you all know. Log into, check it out. Um, it's it's on YouTube. We're gonna have it on other streaming platforms too. It's really worth it. You get to see what these guys look like. <laughs> it's also a different feel because we're talking amongst ourselves. No, no, we don't want that. Like come on, Alex. It's time you come out of the shadows. Too good to Yes, exactly. We're going to see if he, you can just run. You can see if Rob, uh, if uh, Alex actually matches up with his profile pictures, because man. But. Well, right. Right. Well, we'll get his pictures of when he was race car driving. Um, let's talk. Let, we're going to get to, we're going to, we are going to talk more about the ARM IPO. We also are going to talk about FTX and, and, and the liquidation process. But first, let's talk about inflation. It came up a couple times. Look, I'm not a market expert, and I'm not surprised that inflation started going up. I mean, it's been something we've been worried about. Obviously, now this raises all kinds of questions. Um, if inflation's going up, well, what does that mean the Fed's going to do? Now Now is Jay Powell got to go, I can't look like I'm losing the inflation fight. I, I got to whack on some more rates. So let's talk about that and then why it's happening. But first, is this bad news for the interest rate sector? You want to take a shot at that, John? Sure. Um, it's well, uh, again, it depends on which side of the interest rate does sector you're in. Is it bad for home builders? It should be. Um, higher prices uh, for the Fed trying to um, curb inflation by moving up interest rates is not what the home builders want. They're the largest employers in America, our home builders. Um, so that is kind of dicey. Um, and you probably heard Ken Griffith, those of you who saw him on TV this morning, talking about uh, uh, that Jay Powell has to talk tough, but he really has to be careful about hitting inflation too hard. Because I agree with Ken on this assessment. You can't bring this down fast enough. Um, but you can cause a lot of havoc in the markets. Um, by bringing it up too fast, by bringing up interest rates. I, I'm expecting to see that higher interest rates will hurt home builders. I'm expecting to see that uh, uh, the Fed will stay aggressive through the rest of this year and put two more rate hikes on the board. Uh, and I, I cited briefly Ken Griffith and why Ken uh, believes, as I do, that uh, the Fed's moving too fast and that they should stay paused for longer. But you don't get the market you want. You have to trade the market that you get. So I, I'm unfortunately now of a belief that fourth quarter, um, we're going to see at least two rate hikes. Wow, Mark, that's what you think too, right? Well, you know, I, I was of the opinion 
as our loyal listeners may recall before our summer hiatus, that we had 25 basis points, one more hike on tap for us between now and the end of the year. I expected that hike to come in October or November after what I expected to be a pause in September. Unfortunately, I'm going to be revising that, particularly after the CPI, the PPI, and perhaps the biggest headwind for inflation and j efforts to combat inflation right now, energy prices, particularly oil. And I'd like to, with your permission, Rob, I'd like to get opinions from John and Alex if oil can go higher from here. I think it can. Um, I think that's terrible news for the interest rate uh, fight. So, yeah. So I think we've got two more in this year. We might get one next week when the Fed meets, which would be a revision to my pre-summer uh, hiatus estimate of 25 basis points in October or November. And I think we're in store for a total of 50 basis points between now and the end of the year. And that is not good. That's not good for uh, uh, the economy. It's not good for consumers who are already tapped out. If you look at every uh, measure of, of consumer savings, credit card debt, student loan debt coming back online after Biden's somewhat uh, unsuccessful attempt at, at uh, forgiving a student loan debt across the board, by and large, it's, it's setting up for a rough Q4. Well, why? But John and Alex, you know, Mark's question about energy. I mean, why wouldn't gas, why wouldn't oil prices keep going up? I mean, we don't, we, you know, we're not drilling enough. And OPEC knows the game they're playing and Russia knows the game they're playing. I mean, politics are part of this, but it seems like there's all indication, right, that it would continue, that energy prices like oil will go. Yeah, well, Rob, they're up now um, as of today. Uh, we were 28th of June, we were at $67 per uh, barrel. Today, we got over 90. So uh, we're going to be seeing the nationwide oil price pop above four. It was 380 uh, last week. I haven't seen this week's figure yet. I got to believe it's 385 or more. But it's going to be up over four in the very quick future because with the drawdown of gasoline and distillate is going to be tremendous as people try to beat it, uh, beat the, the hikes to the pump by filling up, topping off their tanks right now. So that's, like I say, uh, something that consumers aren't going to like it. Democratic voters aren't going to like it because this makes things a lot tougher on the president's agenda. He just cut last week the last uh, treat, the last lease they had in Alaska that was put in under the former administration. So we're reducing production. Russia's, Russia's reducing production. Um, demand has not slacked. So supply and demand means the supply is dwindling. Uh, demand pushes it up. Uh, you know, we can see $100 crude in the not distant future. And, and hey, John. John, that's that's the, these oil companies. Sorry, Rob, I just want to, this is an important thing. I just want to jump in with John on it a little bit. You know, these oil companies are flush with cash. Right, because of this administration's completely antagonistic approach to continued in, in, or enhancement of domestic oil production in any way, shape, or form, these oil companies are just becoming cash machines. I mean, my God, one of my favorite and one of my core holdings, thanks to a certain guy named Michael who recommended this to me a couple of years ago when the thing was in the seven seven and change handle, is energy transfer, throwing off a nice dividend. Uh, reaching 52-week highs and still climbing beyond my expectations. But what you know? What do you expect? Do you expect that energy stocks, if we think oil can go higher, energy stocks should continue to go higher too, or am I wrong? No, you're right. And they, I think they will. Um, we've had unusual activity in CVX, which is Chevron. Um, I've cited the uranium plays earlier. Um, there's a lot of uh, uh, the uh, companies that do handle the midstream activities that are seeing a lot of stock flow. I haven't seen as much unusual option flow, but I got to believe that's going to start rearing its ugly head there too, Mark. So Alex, let's bring you into the convo. And, and, you know, I always like to ask you, Alex, is there, is there an angle when we look at something like energy, energy prices, 
did did that affect the correlation to Bitcoin or you know to an asset like Bitcoin? Not the crypto market in general, but certainly the biggest gold-like asset out there. Is it irrelevant? Well, I mean, you know, just to hit on that real quick, I'll tell you what energy uh, Bitcoin miners don't want going up, and that's electricity, right? So uh, that's the effect. As far as crude oil and um, and fossil fuels in general. Uh, you know, there's unless they're planning on tapping into a volcano, I think they're okay. It's that electricity mandate that they got to pay attention to. And, you know, that's really what causes the profitability or unprofitability of those miners uh, intersected with the, the price of Bitcoin. Um, l- listen, the energy, uh, the energy trade is on, I think, in, in my eyes. I mean, you heard me comment about UCL. I'm a gambler. That's why I love leverage stuff. I margin trade. I do a bunch of stuff that's crazy that people shouldn't do. Um, but listen, we were at these prices and, and 20% plus higher over a year ago when we didn't have these uh, crazy numbers that Mark and John talked about, whether it comes to energy reserves or another uh, country, uh, you know, closing the spigot at three o'clock every day instead of five o'clock. Um, you know, UCO up twenty-two and a half percent in the in the last month, up fifty-seven point eight percent in the last three months. I still think I'm playing this rocket up for at least another twenty percent. It's historical uh, in in a much better situation. So now that we're in a worse situation, I think this is a just a damn plain fundamental trade. Hey, Alex, what happens, though, to your point, if John's right that uh, this could push other energy prices up? I think it's First of all, let's get bring up. straight. John's never wrong. Uh, uh, okay. John's never wrong. And John never, lose mon- never loses money. He <laughs> just takes it off the table. Who, who, you just want to be John. But um, <laughs> Plus, I want to be as tall as John. But that ain't happening. I want to have your but, hair. But if ener- <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, okay. You, I'll make you trade. Right. My hair for a couple inches. Um so if energy prices if it do push up overall, Alex, that does really affect Bitcoin mining. And, and we've got halving coming up. I mean, that could be a bad sign for the price of Bitcoin, right? Well, you know, listen, there, this is the having coming up is uh, there's two parts of the trade. There's there's the fundamental and there's the adventure. And the fundamental part of it is you're having the rewards to the Bitcoin miners. You're creating uh, a tougher job of, of getting the of digging these Bitcoin out of the machine, so to speak. Um, the event driven trade uh, is it's the four year having and historically we have seen, um, you know, the beginning of a uh, bull run uh, after each of those halvings. Not directly. Now, mind you, there's a, a bull run for Bitcoin, particularly historically going into it. And then we see a drop. And then we see the market as a whole tend to uh, rise again over a certain period of time, whether that's a year or a year and a half. Um, but, you know, so if we have rising Bitcoin spot prices and there is a bump in uh, energy uh, prices on a state-to-state basis. Um, I, I don't think we'll have a problem if we have, you know, Bitcoin uh, Bitcoin price going down on sell pressure. Maybe there's capitulation to all coins, which I don't see happening at all uh, for for a long period of time. And that intersect of value, you know, let's, let's reference it to gold real quick. You know, let's say uh, gold is at. Uh, what's gold? What spot today on gold, John? Hold on, Alex. I'll get it for you right now. Let's see. Crude went out at ninety sixty nine, and uh, gold went out at nineteen thirty two fifty. All right. So, so Rob, gold is nineteen thirty two fifty. It takes about twelve hundred and change dollars to uh, uh, take gold out of the ground, make it into that beautiful little bar that you see robbers stealing from banks on TV. So if the price of gold goes below what it costs to make that bar, if, let's call it refined to its final product, then the gold producers, gold miners aren't making money. It doesn't make sense. They slow down production. The same with Bitcoin. If it costs $19,000 to pull a Bitcoin out of uh, uh, the ether and its spot price is at 29000 they're making money. But if that price combined with uh, electricity and uh, infrastructure – falls below spot or falls goes higher than spot price, they're not. I don't see that happen, happening before the happening or shortly thereafter at all. 
You're listening to Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Twitter Spaces. Follow us at Get Rev Radio. Sorry, X Spaces. It takes me a while. I think Mark calls it X Twitter Spaces. Like, it is the X Twitter Spaces. That's actually true. The former Twitter Space is now X. Um, uh, let's talk a little about the IPO space and ARM Holdings, which we talked about in the beginning of the show. Um, John, Alex, you both brought it up. ARM Holdings, a chip design company. Um, so, John, just set back up again. It's a chip design company. NVIDIA is a chip manufacturer. What's happening with ARM is significant. Why? Well, um, number one, they were really popular. A lot of the chips uh, that they made, Rob, were extremely popular for defense stocks, uh, use of those chips. And uh, just as during the pandemic, when we had a shortage of chips, and auto manufacturers had to slow down on production lines and things like that because they couldn't get enough chips. In some cases, um, Mercedes and uh, BMW, I believe, were buying washers and dryers that now have chips in them to get those chips so they can keep their their lines running. Um, Arm is one of the premier designers of chips, um, and... Back then, uh, they were designing chips that were business-to-business or B2B. Now, uh, these chips are going to be much more uh, uh, not to consumer necessarily, but uh, to the OEMs and so forth. They are going to be helping with the design that they think that they need to have that chip run their whatever-it-is product more efficiently. And uh, certainly uh, SoftBank is a great cheerleader for the stock. Well, why not? They own it, right? But I think that there's just big demand. And again, one of those reasons that they didn't let them do a deal with NVIDIA is this would put too much power in the hands of that consortium or that merger if it would have happened. It didn't and it won't. I don't know if they could probably buy a smaller manufacturer, Rob, but they there's no way they could go in with a company as big, you know, a trillion dollar entity like NVIDIA. And Mark, you know, I noticed in, in one of the articles that um, that arms royalties come from a lot of products that are old, almost like the Beatles catalog. <laughs> They're products that were released over 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And that seems like a great business model, but how does that work? What are they What are they releasing from twenty years ago? Well, that's that's a great question, Rob, and a great analogy to the to the Beatles catalog. This is part of why I think this company is such a complete and total powerhouse. One very important statistic we haven't shared with the audience yet: their chip designs are in ninety nine percent of the smartphones on the planet. And and I'm going to say that again: ninety nine percent of the smartphones on the planet. And the reason that they're still earning royalties on chip designs that go back, in some cases, a decade or even more, is because they are so ubiquitous. The other thing I want to make sure, and I want to caution the audience and the listeners before you back the truck up on ARM, this is a very expensive stock. A lot of naysayers, a lot of people that have said that this thing is overhyped and overinflated have some reason to have that opinion. It's trading at a price that is three times that from a PE multiple perspective of NVIDIA. Three times more expensive than NVIDIA, right? For a company that designs chips, doesn't manufacture them, as you also accurately pointed out, Rob. But when you've got that kind of market share, what comes along with that is pricing power, particularly as it relates to new releases of products. So this is one, it's it's on my watch list on, on, on dips that are caused by macro conditions. So when we see sell-offs in uh, tech, which of course we see when we have interest rate uh, concerns, which are definitely coming as we see, you know, another 25 basis points coming out from the Fed, possibly as soon as next week. We're going to do that value rotation. That happens as sure as the sun will rise tomorrow. Tech will sell off. Value will come into favor. 
I might look to actually pick up some of this thing because I think on a long-term basis, this is going to be a good investment, particularly if it comes off of today's closing price. Well, and so, Mark, start off the conversation about the bigger picture of this. You said that basically the IPO market for tech has been dormant for, for yeah. quite a while. I don't know if most people know that. I wouldn't have known that tech IPOs were dormant for the last two years. Is this just a one-off, or do you think this is like an indicator, bigger indicator? That's a that's an excellent question, and it's a question that's on the minds of, of most traders and investors. And I'm going to come back to something that John said earlier, which I think really is, is a very important part of an answer to that question, which is this demonstrated the success of this IPO. And, and make no mistake, this was a very successful IPO and, and a much-needed win for Masasan and SoftBank after taking a number of very high-profile hits over the past few years. But it does indicate, as John said, that there is still an appetite among traders and investors for risk, right? Buying an IPO, especially in this type of environment, is not a short thing as it typically is considered to be. So there's still an appetite for risk capital. The performance of this IPO is going to give other companies that have been holding, you know, keeping their powder dry, as they say, and holding off on going public, holding off on completing an IPO, it's going to give them a reason to think twice and say, you know what, maybe market conditions aren't so bad. Maybe there is enough appetite for risk. Maybe there is enough appetite for new issuances for me and my company to come out and go public, notwithstanding the interest rate environment and the choppiness that most people, I think, are expecting for the balance of the year. I think that's a it's a good thing. New issuances are a good thing for markets. They're a good thing for market participants. And I think this is what we needed to pry that IPO window for tech stocks open. I don't know if it's wide open just yet, but I think we will see um, others uh, well, follow. And Mark, Alex, what, oh, go yeah. ahead, Jack. The, the next big one coming out, and they can't get it out fast enough, of course, but I don't think it will have nearly the pop. I think instead it'll have a flop. That is Instacart. I mean, Instacart, you already mentioned SoftBank's missteps. Um, one of them was WeWork, of course. Um, they kept basically bidding higher and higher in the uh, uh, seed rounds, to basically make it seem, on paper anyway, like their um, investment was doubling or going up by 30 or 40% with each round. Something similar was going on with Instacart. It's going to be coming out as CART, C-A-R-T. And that one is, uh, you know, they were going to come out allegedly at $39 billion. Now, uh, Andreessen Horowitz is part of it. And the IPO valuation is going to be around nine billion, nine, not thirty-nine, nine. So a quarter of what was the valuation, according to some, not to you and me, Mark, but according to some, back in twenty-one. There's a couple of these, like Databricks, that might be a decent one. You know, you've got Stripe and Reddit. Um, you know, if my Armenian brother over there decides that uh, uh, he wants to bring Reddit out, he and his partner, uh, they will. And it looks like that one could have a $10 billion valuation or so. So there are some pretty big ones out there still. Um, but Stripe is one that's kind of interesting, I think, because um, they want to do this through a direct listing. And yeah, but 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 John Stripes has all that Hindenburg shit all yep. over it, right? You're right. Um, and, and I think that's a that's a good that's a wait. Mark, explain that. Explain that. What what do you mean? Oh, sure. To? Yeah. Well, the the Hindenburg report, as a lot of our listeners, I know we have an incredible audience of self-directed, empowered, and talented traders who make the right decisions. Um, will will know what Hindenburg report is. This is a famous um, uh, analyst that comes out with these uh, very in-depth, uh, uh, sort of inside edition style exposés on companies where they think that there is some chicanery. I was gonna use a different expression, John, but since we're keeping it PG, I'm not gonna use my usual expression for that. Some chicanery involved. And there was a Hindenburg report that came out in the spring, I wanna say May, I don't remember exactly the date, that made some pretty salacious allegations as it relates to some of Stripe's 
uh, internal processes or more specifically, lack of necessary processes when it comes to AML, KYC, and payment processing. So um, that's that's something that I think will be a major tailwind or excuse me, major headwind to a Stripe IPO and something that may give the folks behind that um, proposed IPO uh, pause. The name I like even, even more so, because I'm not sure I really like Stripe, although I agree, John, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, is Databricks. We have watched, as everybody knows, you know, I'm a co-founder of Battlefin. John's an investor and advisor to Battlefin. We're one of the first and largest platforms for alternative data in, in the business. Um, we have a big event coming up in London week after next uh, in conjunction with the London Stock Exchange, which is one of our premier shareholders, which I'm very proud to say. Um, we have seen Databricks absolutely it come onto the scene and explode and, and achieve a, a market share that I did not see coming. So if I had to pick one that might be an upcoming IPO that I would be a buyer and a bullish uh, proponent of, it would be Databricks, definitely overstrike. Yep, I agree. And Alex, let me let me let you weigh in with one that I want to switch gears and talk about FTX. But but um, but by the way, everybody, we like to bring. I like to say we bring. I love this because we bring a lot of insight behind the insight behind the analysis. And if you're sitting out there going, "How do I learn all this stuff?" Well, one, you listen to our show. But two, selfless, uh, shameless plug for our team: Market Rebellion and Trade the Chain on the crypto side. Both offer services you can sign up and you can you can't get everything that's in these guys' heads, but you can get a lot. So I recommend you you check them out, Market Rebellion, Trade the Chain, and obviously follow John, Mark, and Alex, and of course follow at Get Rev Radio on X Spaces. So Alex, if you want to weigh in with a tech with a te- with a tech IPO you like, then then we can open up the conversation about FTX. I, you know, I, I can't because uh, I, I speak too much to Mark and uh, John, uh-huh. so I would just be repeating uh, most of the same stuff. But I, 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 I'm a listener, and and when they speak, and the Instacart thing is just phenomenal. I hope that becomes part of a really good documentary one day. Um, chicanery, haven't heard that word that word in a while. It's almost like Mark just IPO'd the word. Um, but yeah, no, I think these guys are good, and I, I don't want to ruin it by adding anything. You know, Mark really should be in the 40s or the 50s, right? Or maybe even the 30s. I mean, you know, he'd fit right in with Humphrey Bogart back then. <laughs> He's a gangster. Well, <laughs> so, I, I think it's right up there with malarkey. 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 No, I think Mark no, said that no, one, too. No, malarkey. No, he said malarkey and chicken. The president, I do not accept The president, no, president of the so. United States uses malarkey all the time. So I think... Does he? Know, but does he know that? Is the question. <laughs> I think it's a good word. I'm just it is saying. malarkey. I'm going to start using it. Malarkey. That's malarkey. So Sam Bankman-Fried get hoping to get out of jail is malarkey. But uh, FTX. But FTX being able to sell off a lot of its assets is something potentially, Alex, that would be a good thing. I mean, it's a one way they can start giving people back their money, right? So you mentioned earlier, it's like what. A hundred, what is it? A hundred million a week at this point. What's the impact of that? And and the secondary question to that is, what happens if they just dump it out there that it crashes the Bitcoin price? Well, all right. So listen, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to break this up into two. I'm going to let uh, Nick take care of the economics of the coins and what that looks like from a trading perspective. I'm going to take care of the emotional side of the bankruptcy, considering I and a few uh, listeners on this. Uh, went through it recently with uh, Voyager Digital. Um, I think it's great that they're able to uh, systematically uh, recover these funds, sell the funds, um, and return them to the creditors. It it has been a long struggle for these people. Um, The fact that Galaxy Asset Management, not their trading desk, Galaxy Asset Management is overseeing the uh, the orderly liquidations of I think it's about three and a half billion dollars in total of uh, FTX assets is a great thing. It's a, this is being done extremely responsible. Um, and I believe it, the recovery is it's total of seven billion in assets that they've uh, that, that they have on hand. So um, kudos to them for doing this. They have to do this. Uh, you can't call them evil for doing it. Um, but let's switch over to Nick and see what that impact could look like in the short term for these. And, and by the way, some of these projects 
are they have I, I know teams on a lot of these holdings they are smart guys uh you know i mentioned the solana team uh, earlier in the week i mean it, it's it's too bad that this was their almighty investor that partnered up with them um you couldn't have seen it back then but you definitely see it now because their projects are getting just you know wrecked in the short term uh, for just picking bad partners. And um, I, I hope a lot of these teams survive because they are uh, a majority of good people. But, but but everybody wanted money from Sam Alex, right? Back in the day. Everybody 100%. 100%. The Michael Jordan, JP Morgan, whatever you want to call him, a crypto, we all saw him rise through the ranks and we were like, who the heck is this uh, haircut uh, afro going through uh, the thing? Um, but in the end, we all thought he was the Messiah. We never saw such a meteoric rise since CZ uh, blew out uh, first-year earnings at, at Binance. Um, you're absolutely right. None of us could have seen this. Hey, Alex, before Nick jumps in with, with, the, with the actual economics of this, to Mark's question, though, I don't know if you remember, I asked Jordan Freed. It might have been on our Twitter spaces when it was still Twitter. But I definitely remember asking him, because he, he said, I should have seen it. He's like, I did what everybody else did, and I just trusted that other people had vetted it. I mean, is that a fair thing that, at, on one hand, everybody saw him as a savior? On the other hand, nobody was really doing their homework. Yeah, and you have that. That mentality is not new. Um, and, and I'm sure Mark and, and John can attest to this in the trad by uh, venture sector. You, you look at all the, the smart money that looked at uh, FTX and invested in FTX. And I won't name them uh, by name. You guys all know them from the news. Um, what typically happens in a deal uh, of popularity of sorts is you get a, a, a lead investor who, who's the smart money and you get all these other VCs that want to follow on. So now you have this group of smart, uh, talented venture capitalists um, and they're all majorly relying on the fact that the smartest one in the room did the diligence, right? If you have a Sequoia or if you have an Andreessen Horowitz, I mean, if Andreessen, not Horowitz, that you're going to mention any names. I, listen, I don't know who, who invested in what. I'm just saying, if you you have an Andreessen Horowitz who uh, is taking a stake in a company, I I would almost mistakenly blindly follow them into the deal. And there's not a lot of people that wouldn't, right? We all we've all we restocked on what that attitude is now, but you know, that was the, that was the mentality for a long period of time. You got to remember these venture capitalists who followed on with these big names they're trying to get high profile too. That's why they want to do follow ons with these leads. So it's not just about investing in a company. It's about also bringing their profile, uh, raising that as well. So. Hey, John, is that what could happen with Instacart? A similar kind of sure. Absolutely. It could. And, uh, you know, your, your typical venture capitalist um, wants to turn over that portfolio, Rob. Uh, they're not in it for the long term. So they've already held this one past what they would have hoped was expiration. But, you know, they delayed and then obviously uh, pandemic was still dragging on. And so they wanted to hold off on bringing it out. For a host of reasons, I guess. But like I say, now Instacart's down to approximately nine billion is the most recent uh, pricing that I've seen, and that is indeed a very far cry from thirty-nine billion, which is why I say it's a quarter of its former uh, uh, lofty price point. And this is for a grocery delivery company, folks. This is it's it's more difficult than Amazon. Because yeah, you have you can have food warehouses to deliver stuff, but food rots. Amazon and all these other online players that you can buy stuff from, you can buy virtually everything from Amazon, including the Whole Foods related stuff that you can get from Instacart. I mean, this was it's like the buy now pay later crowd. Everybody thought that a firm was great when it first came out, but then everybody just started doing it. And what's your edge if you're, you know, Instacart? A, a pandemic, so, a pandemic darling. Yep. Right. A pandemic a darling. Pandemic I darling. Phrase. So all right, we got a couple of minutes left. Nick, I want to let you jump in and just th to the question of it, the risk of, of as, as FTX liquidates, which people who lost money like, 
there's a risk that you tank the Bitcoin price. Yeah, I appreciate you guys bringing me in on this. And it's funny, I was just talking about this on one of our shows on Monday that, you know, everyone's front running the FTX. And then obviously Wednesday was the day that they were approved for the sales and all of the news dropped in, in terms of, you know, when they're going to sell, how much they're going to sell, which Alex described. And, you know, if, if anytime we're watching the crypto charts, front run the news. When the news drops, you know, that's the moment to stop the momentum and stop the direction. So reverse. Now we're getting a little squeeze. And then if you just think about the, the general economics of, of what's going on, they have 685 million worth of soul. They have 530 million worth of FTT. And these are January 7th prices. So obviously could be a little bit different, but not going to be insane. Uh, 90 million of ETH, 67 million APT, 42 million Doge, 40 million Matic. Uh, and then the list goes on to another, you know, half a billion or actually a quarter of a billion dollars worth of mixed assets. So if any Bitcoin to, to Rob's question, though, Nick, any Bitcoin, half a billion. Yeah. So they I, I believe it's it's a wrapped Bitcoin, I believe, as well and and Bitcoin. So it's going to happen, you know, on chain, which is going to affect some other things as well as Bitcoin. So so good catch there. One of the charts that I was looking at uh, did not contain the Bitcoin. Oh, I'm sorry, it did. I, I looked it's two hundred and seventy million dollars worth of um, of Bitcoin. And then they have another portion of wrapped Bitcoin to, to meet Alex's total. So apologies there. But if you're if you're thinking about this, you know, again, what I said, the soul, a lot of it's locked, but they're going to sell that OTC, they're going to sell claims down. So let's imagine soul is trading at, you know, I think what $16. Now, let's say someone says, Hey, I want to buy $10 or $10 soul for, you know, 25% of what you have on chain. So they're going to do that transaction. They're going to short it down. Um, you know, just because it happens OTC does not mean it won't actually affect the market because, uh, you know, people have to hedge and FTX has to make sure that they're getting best execution. And then if you're thinking about all the other coins, you know, this, so, so just think about it in the context of Sailor announces $100 million buy, right? Everything goes up until Sailor is done buying. So in the same context, FTX is saying, we're going to sell a billion dollars worth of various crypto assets. So in that typical context, you're going to expect everything to go down until the selling is over. And all the other coins that they don't hold are going to succumb to that because VCs and private equity have to look at this and say, if this much uh, money is going to be introduced in the market, well, I need to offload my junk because I can't be left holding the bag and I need to go vacation in Ibiza for a weekend. So they're going to start selling all the other coins that they've accumulated, which are going to be top L2s, top L1s, top exchanges, nearly every coin that you can think of, because everything other than Doge, Bitcoin, and Ethereum uh, have massive private equity and VC allocation. So if you're just thinking about the context, the most simplistic way to look at it is what happened when Sailor announces a $100 million buy? Everything goes up until he is done buying. So if FTX is announcing a billion dollar sell, the same thing should happen to the downside until they are done selling. And I think that's the easiest way to put it in everybody's minds. That's great. Good insight, you guys. All right, we're we're near wrapping up here. I wanna I wanna tease something out for um for the future. John, Mark, Alex. When we look at politics, I know Hunter Biden just got indicted today. The markets don't care about that. But do the markets care that we may have another government shutdown issue? And it's a longer conversation, but that's coming up in, you know, in the next couple of weeks. And it's clearly possible that Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, loses his speakership. But he could conceivably not get any spending bills out. Does the market care? Is it paying attention or does it need to wait another week? I would say you need to wait a little bit. Um, and it depends where the market is. If the market's surging like today... Uh, and the government shutdown looms just two or three days from that, then I think the market's more vulnerable. If the market consolidates here for a little bit, Rob, I don't think it matters. Mark, what are your thoughts? When we had this conversation last time, you were kind of like, there's damage that can be done if we get too close and don't do anything. That could happen again in a week. Yeah, no, I mean, first of all, Rob, um, kudos to you for bringing up a, a, a great topic and a great topic that is, frankly speaking, I think a little bit ahead of, of, of the curve. And that's the kind of stuff that we love to cover here on this show, right? We don't want to just be another talking head. Then you could just watch folks on a network that has, you know, a four-letter uh, four acronym that I won't mention right now. Um, I think that the market's ignoring it at the moment. 
But as is always the case, as we get closer to the deadline, and as it appears that there will not be a deal, not unlike the uh, the, the strike deadline looming at midnight tonight between uh, Ford and the UAW, the Auto Workers Union, which appears to have no resolution in sight, keep an eye, folks, on Ford stock tomorrow if we hit midnight and a deal is not struck, which, by the way, I'm going to go out on a limb and say is my prediction. I think there's no deal at midnight and Ford sells off in the morning on that news. Um, but I think the market will start to take it a little bit more seriously. And as we saw, you know, with the with the budget with the uh, with the budget limit, not the debt ceiling limit, a few months ago, um, the closer we get, and the more likely that it's going to be more uh, political. I'll use the word again, chicanery. I will not use the word malarkey, but chicanery. Uh, the market will start to get jittery. We'll start to see a spike uh, in the VIX. We'll start to see, uh, uh, you know, uh, bonds and, and treasuries uh, react accordingly, and we could see some additional uh, negative volatility as that comes closer to reality. Well, we will talk about it next week. We'll also talk about whether that has an implication on Bitcoin if Bitcoin reacts, you know, positively to to a failure to get them to get our spending house in order. John Nigerian. Alex Massioli, Marco Presti, and Nick from Trade the Chain. Thank you guys as always. Everybody follow all of them. Follow us at Get Rev Radio. This is the Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain Show on X, formerly Twitter Spaces. Celine Automotive, our sponsor. Check them out. And B3 Nation, thanks for listening. Check out our podcast on YouTube. And we will see you on Twitter, X Spaces, again next Thursday. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for joining Rob Nelson, Alex Massioli, Mark Lapresti, and John Nigerian with another great episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain twice a week on Revolution Radio. Whether you're new to the world of Web3 finance or an experienced investor, we've got you covered. Follow us on Twitter at GetRevRadio and visit our website at revolutionradio.io, helping you make smarter financial decisions. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.